وعلى أهله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد So dear brothers, dear sisters, dear ulamai kiram I'm happy to be here with you this afternoon and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this a useful session a beneficial session inshallah for all of us What's your name little brother? You too, what's your name? Rayyan, and this, your brother? Huh? Adiyan. Loudly. Adiyan Mahmoud. Adiyan What does Adiyan mean? You kept the name. What's, what does Adiyan mean? Don't cry, brother. You're not in trouble. Adiyan, what does it mean? Do you know what it means? So why did you keep it? You have to know what your, means, your names mean. You, you don't just get nice sounding names. Adiyan, the one meaning that comes to my mind is the plural of deen. So it means religions. Right? Maybe make some mashwara with Malah Habibur Rahman after the program. Inshallah. I won't ask any more names before everybody walks out. Um, so, <clears throat> what I want to speak about today is the topic is about youth, I believe. But we have, it looks like some youth, but then we also have older than youth and we have younger than youth. Because youth, according to Ibn al-Jawzi, is from when you become mature, which is 13, 14 years old, 12, 13, 14 years old, until 35. That's youth. Then after that, from 35 to 50 is middle age. And then from 50 to 70 is uh, uh, is uh, old age <clears throat> and then it goes to senility and before before becoming balik before 13 14 you it's considered to be childhood so we've got everything so let's see firstly in the time of the prophet sallallahu the children played a big part in the community today children are considered to be people who don't understand anything and we just have to keep telling them off or we have to just bring them up. But otherwise children really in the time of the Prophet they played a very important role. They had a mind of their own. They used to make decisions on their own that were helpful decisions. Not just decisions that I want to play this game and that game and nobody else wants you to play because you're wasting your time. So for example, <clears throat> who became the first Muslim? Who was the first Muslim? Some say Abu Bakr radiallahu <clears throat> But it says that one of the first people to become Muslim was Khadija radiallahu So Khadija al-Kubra, right? She was one of the first to become Muslim because when the Prophet came home after his experience of the first wahi, remember when he said, Iqra, read. So when he came home, Khadija radiallahu anha became the first Muslim. But in terms of everybody else, who became the first Muslim? Some say it was Ali radiallahu anhu. And he was very young at that time. Ali radiallahu anhu became Muslim and he was very young at that time. Um, the way to look at it is that from the children, Ali radiallahu anhu was first. From the women, it was Khadija radiallahu anha. From the slaves, it was Zayd radiallahu anhu. And from the adult men, it was Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu. But the absolute first person was Khadija radiallahu anha. And Ali radiallahu an was also very early because he was a cousin of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, but he was much younger than him. And the Prophet sallallahu was actually brought up by Ali radiallahu an whose father, who's Ali radiallahu an whose father, Abu Talib, right? So that's the first point. Now look at this. What you have is uh, <clears throat> there's a the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam has dealt with many of the tribes in Arabia itself. Now they are fearing an attack from the Romans, the Byzantines. They are coming from Syria. So the Prophet ﷺ had to have an army to go and defend against them. The Romans were a very big army because they had a lot of 
wealth and they had a lot of land and they had a, 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 a huge army. So against them, the Prophet ﷺ had to send an army of the Muslims. <clears throat> this is just before he passed away. The Prophet ﷺ, this is in the last year of his life, he got this army together. <clears throat> and you know, there were big Sahaba in there. All the big Sahaba, many of the big Sahaba were in the army. But you know who he put at the head of the army? He put somebody who's only 18, 17 or 18 years old. Usama radiallahu anh. 18 years old, he put him in front. Now, where would you put an 18? Where, in our time, we're just getting the 18 year olds to focus in school. They've just finished their GCSE, probably A levels, and get off your Xbox, you know, get off playing this and get off playing that, and focus on your life, make a career for yourself. In that time, an 18 year old is qualified that the Prophet trusts him. So you see, there's two things here that you have to remember. There are two things here. And this is for us parents as well to think about. We always tell the children, you must be like that, you must be like that. But do we give them the environment? Do we trust them? Well, we have to probably nurture them first in a way that we can trust them. And I think we always blame the children, but we have to start blaming ourselves as well. Of how we bring them up, how we give them that trust. So, he was only 18 years old. And he was made the army, uh, leader of the army. Now what happened is, there were some people who were a bit upset about this. That why have you got such a young person, where there's so many older, more mature, more experienced people, who he is commanding? Why is he the head of the army? So the Prophet ﷺ was, got very angry. So then he defended his decision. This wasn't a random decision he just made just like that. But when he made the decision and they, they brought up some questions and objections about it, the Prophet ﷺ got very angry. He gave a special khutbah. He said, مَا بَالُ أَقْوَامٍ يَقْدَحُونَ فِي أَنْ وَلَّيْتُ أُسَامَةَ عَلَى الْجَيْشِ What is the problem with people? That they are criticizing, objecting to my making Usama radiallahu anhu, Usama, the leader of the army. وَأَيْمُ اللَّهِ أَنْ كَانَ لِلْإِمْرَةِ لَخَلِيقٌ وَإِنَّهُ لَمِنْ أَحَبِّ النَّاسِ إِلَيَّ Because he is definitely worthy of that position. The Prophet knew that. Now you can't question the Prophet on that, right? Maybe if I did that, you'd say, man, this guy's you know, probably got something going here. But with the Prophet he made it very clear, I love him. He's one of the most beloved to me, yes, that's there. But he is definitely also worthy and suitable for this position. So you need to treat him well, because he is from the best among you. Look at that. He defends his decision to make a youth who nowadays would just about be, you know, like focusing on life. Like, okay, I need to get serious with my life. He is already, mashallah, leadership material by that time. So that's the most important uh, point that we need to get from here. That it wasn't just the children were up there, but it's because the parents also made them like that and trusted them to do that. That's why there's a hadith in Sahih Muslim from Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhu, the Prophet said while he's in the mimbar, that if you are criti criticizing and objecting to his leadership, meaning Usama radiallahu anhu, you also criticize the leadership of his father before that, even though he was also worthy of it. Because initially, before when Zaydan was alive, he'd been martyred in Muta in Jordan, which is in Jordan today. He'd been martyred in an earlier battle, right, in a place uh, called Muta, in a Ghazwa to Muta against the Romans as well. And that today, if you go to Jordan, it's uh, towards, uh, it's uh, south of uh, Amman, and it's a place called Karak. And they've made a massive masjid there, uh, the Masjid al-Shuhada there. It's a really big project. And that's where the three Sahaba had passed away. You know, the story is famous. Who were the three Sahaba that, that were martyred then? Zayd, Abdullah ibn Raha, and Ja'far ibn Abi Talib, who is also the brother of Ali radiallahu anhu. So three people had died in that. So then the Prophet made his son, uh, Zayd radiallahu anhu, Usama radiallahu anhu, he made him the, he, he made him the Amir. So then let's take another example. I'm just going to give you a few examples of the Sahaba and what they did, just to inshallah hopefully give us some encouragement. 
Abdullah ibn Abbas anhu, he relates uh, in Sunan al-Tirmidhi etc. that uh, once he was behind the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This was when he was a young boy. He was sitting behind the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. His auntie was married to the Prophet so he was quite close. He even spent one night with him. But on this occasion he was sitting behind the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam on his uh, donkey. Right? And the Prophet was taking him somewhere. So the Prophet suddenly turned around to him and he said to him, Oh son, Ya Ghulam, oh young man, oh young boy. He said, I'm going to teach you a few things. He was probably seven, eight years old or something like that. He says, I'm going to teach you a few things. Okay, so he said to him, he's, only, he's, he's about your age. He said to him that, uh, now you take this advice. Have you heard this advice already? Right, so what this advice is this. Imagine you are Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anh, little boy sitting on a donkey behind the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the Prophet turned around to you. Who else is eight or nine here? You're nine? And what about you? No, this uh, uh, in front of Mr. Blue. You're eleven. Okay, well you can definitely understand this hadith. So all of you, alright? This is what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said. He said, I'm going to teach you a few words. So listen carefully. Imagine he's speaking to you. I'm going to teach you a few words. Always be thinking about Allah. Always be thinking what does Allah want from you. And if you are constantly thinking about Allah, then Allah will always protect you. Allah will always protect you. So if you're going somewhere and wherever you are, always just think about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does He want me to do here? Right? You have to just be mindful about Allah and Allah will be mindful of you. He won't ever abandon you. If you be mindful of Allah, you'll always find that He is there to help you. He won't come in person because Allah doesn't come in person. But He will make something by which, inshallah, you will be assisted and you will be helped. Okay, don't forget that. Alright, Rayyan, don't forget that. So this is what the Prophet told him. Then he said to him, if you need any help with anything, and you need to ask somebody for help, then ask Allah. Now if you need some help with anything in, you know, whatever you're doing, first ask Allah in your mind, then you can also ask your parents or anybody else. But always keep asking Allah. Do you understand? And you don't have to say openly, you can just say it in your mind, Oh Allah, help me. I need help. And then you ask your parents, you ask your teacher, you ask your friends, wherever you are. Do you understand? You guys understanding? Always ask Allah when you need to ask for help. And whenever you need anything, you ask Allah. And then he said to him that if everybody gets together to try to harm you and Allah doesn't want you to be harmed, then can you be harmed? Can anybody trouble you if Allah does not want you to be troubled? No. Even if the whole world, everybody gets together and they want to trouble you, but Allah does not want you to be troubled, then they cannot trouble you. Just understand that, right? You're getting it? You can also think you're Abdullah ibn Abbas. Don't, get, don't feel left out. Okay, how old are you? You're 12, right? And he then said to him that if everybody in the world gets together to give you something, to benefit you somehow, but Allah doesn't want you to benefit them, then they can't benefit you. Just remember that everything is in the control of Allah. If He wants something to happen, if He wants you to have something, He will have your father give you something and so on and so on, or somebody else, your auntie give you something. And if He doesn't want you to have it, you will not have it even if you try to get it. Just remember that. But the main thing is, just be concerned about Allah and Allah will always protect you. That was the advice He gave him. Now what happens is, Abdullah ibn Abbas, when he gets a bit older, maybe about 11, 12, 13, whatever age it was, the Prophet has now passed away. The Prophet passed away while Abdullah ibn Abbas was still very young. He realized now that the Sahaba, the companions who had, been, who had studied with the Prophet slowly, slowly, they're going to disappear as well. So he had a friend. He told his friend, come on, let's go to such and such a Sahabi to go and learn from them those things which the Prophet taught them. So the, he said, because 
soon people are going to be in need and then they, you know, we, there needs to be somebody who can help them. So his friend, he, didn't, he wasn't really thinking for the future too much. He said, why would anybody bother asking us? There's all these big people there. Why would they ask you and me? So he left. He didn't. But Abdullah ibn Abbas, he then went to a Sahabi's house and he waited outside until he came out. I think it was afternoon time. When the Sahabi came out, he said, Ya Allah, what are you doing here, the nephew of the Prophet Oh, I've come to study with you. I've come to ask you some things. He said, you're a nephew. You could have told us we would have come to you. So he went and he studied. When he was still young, he went and studied with all the big Sahaba until a day came when the, his friend, the one who stopped studying, the one who never bothered, he said, I wish I'd listened to him. He knew what he was talking about. So, always think about your future, what you wanna, how you want to change and benefit people. And us as parents, we should not be asking children all the time, what do you want to be when you grow up? That's really a very limited question. Because if they want to be a if they want to be an engineer, then all they can do is engineering. What you want to ask to get their minds is how do you want to benefit the people? How do you want to make a change? Saying, what are you talking about? But words have an impact. Right? If if we never encourage our children to think broader. Who is gonna? Who is gonna make you? We're waiting for some special person to come and tell them that. We have to open the horizons of our children. And if you're teachers, we need to say that to to our students. Not what are you gonna be? That's too limited. How you're gonna change the world? How you're gonna make a difference? How are you gonna make give benefit to the community? And in that, they can then become the biggest doctor they want. That's, that's not restricting you. It's just thinking on a higher level. So if they do become a doctor or an engineer, then inshallah, because you've planted the seed at young age, then hopefully they will have a less selfish attitude and a more selfless giving attitude. So it's all about nurture, tarbiyah. That's what we call tarbiyah. Right? On a psychological level, we ask Allah for tawfiq. So, th this is the Prophet speak, this advice that he has given, adults benefit from it. And he was giving the same advice to Abdullah ibn Abbas, a child from that age. That's why people like Abdullah ibn Abbas become what they become, because they had elders who gave them that kind of advice. I give you an example. Uh, last year in October, not this one, uh, in 2017, we went to Turkey with uh, about 25, 30 Muslim leaders and ulama of the UK. It was like a special trip to meet various different organizations there. So we went to this, their, one of their Islamic schools called the Imam Khatib School. Their Islamic schools are called the Imam Khatib School. So there was some, uh, on the way out, we met with some of the children. There was like a, maybe a 13, 14 year old kid. So Sheikh Haytham Haddad from London, right? He's a bit sick now, may Allah give him shifa. He said, to one of the children, as he was talking to him, one of the youth, 13, 14, 15 years old maybe, I can't remember the exact age, around that age. You need to be like Muhammad bin Fatih, Muhammad Fatih, you know, the one who conquered Istanbul. Now, if you say that to a child, they're probably going to give a little giggle, yeah, whatever, you know, they're going to be embarrassed maybe as well, that how can you tell me to do that? I, we were all shocked when that child said, okay, I can be like that, but what about you? It's like, wow, these guys, subhanAllah, you know, I was already impressed by everything, already. When I saw this child speaking like that, it's like, Oof. I said, he, he just shut us up, like, okay, we, we can be, I can be like, what about you? Why can't you be like that as well? So there, there's a thinking, thought is very, we, we just keep complaining. We just keep complaining that everything's going down, this is a problem and that's a problem. A few years, I used to probably be like that as well, but a few years ago I stopped doing that and I said, you know what? Complaining is a pastime. It's this false, it gives you this false sense of um, satisfaction almost, or justification that you're doing something. Because you complain you've done something. You haven't done anything. You're adding to the problem. Do something about it. However small, do something about it. 
And that can only happen when we think like that. You can't do something without thinking big first. Start thinking big. We ask Allah for tawfiq. A second, uh, number three. A wonderful story, right? There's a little boy. His name is Amr ibn Abi uh, uh, Amr ibn Salama. Amr ibn Salama. His name is Amr, son of Salama. He was six or seven years old. So we got a few seven-year-olds. Anybody six here? Who's six? Oh yeah, this guy is six. Perfect example. Why does he always look like he's going to cry? Is he upset or is that just the way he is? Huh? How? Why is he scared for you? Don't be scared of me, man. Have you got a sweet I can give him? Why are you scared of me for? Have you made him, have you made him scary of uh, people with beards? Is that why? Huh? Molana, the Molana is going to come and beat you up at home to scare them. That's what they generally say. I go to somebody's house and they say, Mananas, he is going to tell you off. I said, no, I'm not going to tell you off. Why are you creating fright? I'm not saying you do. I'm saying this is what happened with me. So I tell the people, I said, why are you causing people to be scared of Maulanas? Then that means they're always going to be scared. They're never going to go to them. It's psychology. We have to stop using that kind of negative psychology. Right? Blame a ghost if you want, but don't blame the Maulana. You know what I'm saying? So Amr ibn Salama was only six or seven years old. So he's either uh, Adian's age or just one year older than him. Now imagine this, right? This is mind-boggling. Imagine this. He was from this tribe. Uh, he, he, was, he was from this tribe that used to be close to Madinah Munawwara or Makkah Mukarramah. So their tribe had not become Muslim yet. You know that much of the Arabian Peninsula... Uh, many of them had not become Muslim yet. Though they were mostly convinced. They were mostly convinced that Islam is true. But the reason they didn't become Muslim is one reason. Because the people of Makkah had not become Muslim yet. And Makkah was still under the hands, uh, in the hands of the, uh, the, the, the non-Muslims. Alright? And the reason why is because Makkah has a, Mukarram has a very special position. You remember 30, 40 years before that, when Abraha from the south came to attack Makkah and break the Kaaba. Have you guys heard that story? What happened to his army? How were they destroyed? Right, with the, with the birds, right? So for everybody in Arabia, from that time, and probably from before, but especially from that time, they thought this is a very special city. And if the people there aren't becoming Muslim, then maybe there's, we just have to wait. Otherwise, Islam was mostly in their heart. They'd become mostly convinced. So then, when the Prophet ﷺ rode into Makkah Mukarramah and took it, that's when you had all of these multiple tribes suddenly come into Islam. إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ this surah refers to that. Right? When they just came in after that, in tribe after tribe, they just became Muslim. Because they were just waiting for that tipping point. So before the conquest of Makkah, this tribe was a non-Muslim tribe. Now the Sahaba used to pass through. And as you know, the Quran took 23 years to come down, right? So when these Sahaba would walk through, would come through, this child would learn all the Qur'an that he could from them. Because, you know, whatever Qur'an had been revealed until whatever surah has been revealed, he used to memorize it from them. He had a good memory, he used to just memorize it. He was a non-Muslim at the time. He said he used to just, when I used to listen to it from them and repeat it or whatever, it used to just settle itself in my heart. He was only six years old, and he, used to, he knew lots of surahs. Right? How many surahs do you know, Adnan? He used to know a lot of surahs, okay? I'm making very special dua for him, not picking on him, okay? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make him from the awliya and all of our children, inshaAllah. So, as I said, all of these tribes, they were just waiting. 
right? Like, should we, shouldn't we become Muslim? Should we become Muslim? But he was learning everything. As soon as the conquest of Makkah took place, the opening of Makkah took place, his, his tribe all became Muslim. Now, they had a, a, an ambassador from the Muslims, from the Prophet ﷺ to their people. And when he came, he gave them an instruction from the Prophet ﷺ. He said that you need to pray at these times, right? You need to start praying now, five daily prayers. And you need to pray like, so he came and taught them how to pray. And he said that when it comes time for prayer, then one of you should give the adhan. Because you know, you have an adhan before namaz, right? You have to give the adhan. Then the one who knows the most Quran will be your imam. The one who knows the most Quran will be your imam. So they did the adhan, they did everything. They said, okay, they looked around, who knows the most Quran? And the one who knew the most Quran was Amr ibn Salama, this six or seven year old boy. Now imagine this, you know, just imagine, he was a six or seven year old boy, he, know, he knew the most Quran. So they put me in front, they said, you have to lead the prayer. So we got Adyan, we're putting him to lead the prayer. Or Adyan, lead the prayer. We would never dream of that. I mean, it's not allowed anyway for them to lead the prayer because the hukum that was abrogated, that was just for that time. Uh, we're not allowed. But children can give a khutbah if they're discerning, if they can understand right and wrong, and they're not barely yet, they can give a khutbah, for example. Right? I'm not saying we should do that, I'm just giving you masail. Right? So, they, they made him the imam. Now he was a poor boy. His family was very poor. Right? Are you, you're very rich, aren't you? Huh? You're very rich. But this boy was a poor boy. He only had one piece of clothing on. So when he used to lead the prayer, his bottom would show. No joke. His bottom would show. So the women who were behind, they said, Can you at least cover him properly, cover his bottom properly. He's the, he's the Imam, he's being the Imam, but give him some clothing, you know. So what they did was, they did a fundraising, chanda, for the Imam. And they made him a special qameez, right? And he says, He said, that was the happiest day in my life. Happiest day in my life that I got new clothing. Allahu Akbar. Now, what's amazing is the fact that they put such a child up. Now, of course, for us, it's, uh, it's not allowed. I mean, the salat would not, it's makru to do that kind of stuff. Anyway, but even when a child becomes hafiz at 16 and they're balir, but they just don't have enough of beard, people are going to complain. Right? Forget that we have big problems. We have committees in which old people are sitting in there. They don't even trust their own children who are 40 years old. I've had this, I'm telling you, as a, uh, in, in one of our areas in London, the committee is all like my father's age, which is, you're talking about, you know, 65, 75, around that age. Their children are now professionals. So there's one guy in the committee, uh, community, he worked, uh, he is a major accountant in a law firm, and he deals with millions of pounds a year, and he's got three children. So I remember one of the older committee folk, they say he's too young. <laughs> How old were you when you started? They just, they can't even do tarbiyah of their own children in their guidance to, to, to because they're all going to then eventually die slowly, slowly, then who's going to look after? It's going to be a big mess. So they, these are just things that people need to be thinking about, that we can keep telling children do this and do that and everything, but Adults have to make an environment for this, right? Adults have to create an environment for this. Just a few more points. Uh, this is an amazing story. Do, do you remember the Battle of Badr, right? And one of the biggest enemies of Islam until that time was who? Abu Jahl, right? Abu Jahl.
Abu Jahl's real name uh, was Amr ibn Hisham. Amr ibn Hisham. And his uh, title was Abu al-Hakam, the, fa the father of judicial insight. He was a very brave, bold person, but very mean person, in that very nasty person. Omar Adina was also very bold, but he had some, you know, he, he, he was very, very tough, but he, he had the heart. They were both non-Muslims, and the Prophet also made a dua that, oh Allah, strengthen the deen with one of the two Amrs. Omar, Amr, Amir, Ammar, all come from the same word. Right? And the word itself, Amara, it means to inhabit, establish, to found, to populate, to it has that kind of a meaning. Imran, same thing. Imran, Ammar, Amir, Amr, Omar, all of that has very similar meanings. All from the same root. So, Amr ibn Hisham, from Abu al-Hakam became Abu Jahl, father of ignorance. And Umar ibn al-Khattab became the Amirul Mu'mineen. Today, I don't think anybody knows Amr ibn Hisham as Amr ibn Hisham. Even the Orientalists, when they're in the books about that, you know, when they're doing studies about that, they call him Abu Jahl. Right? They don't call him Abu al-Hakam or anything. Like, what a name, you know? So, may Allah give us Qubuliyah, just like he gave Umar ibn Qubuliyah, an acceptance. So... Abu Jahl is causing a lot of problems, saying mean things about the Prophet Not just mean things, but he does things against the Prophet Funny. So, then the Battle of Badr took place. So, Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu anhu. He's an older Sahabi. Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu anhu. Have you heard of him before? Rayyan, you've heard of him? Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu He's one of the ten who were given the glad tidings of paradise. So, he was standing on the battlefield. Now, if you're on the battlefield, what kind of people do you want next to you? Strong or weak? Now, if you're adult and you have two children next to you, how would you feel? Jazakallah. How would you feel? You'd feel like, oh no, I've got children next to me. Right? Um... So he said, we were getting ready for the battle and I stood there and then I said, let me look to my right and left who's there next to me. So, you know, you have to prepare yourself. So I looked to my right and I looked to the left and there are these two children from the Ansar. Two children from the Ansar. They're very young. And I, and I just wish that it was somebody else next to me. Because you want strong people next to you. Suddenly, as I was going through this thought, one of them just kind of, you know, poked me or whatever. And he said, Uncle, do you know Abu Jahl? I said, of course I know Abu Jahl. He said, I said, what, 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 what have you got to do with Abu Jahl? Why are you asking about Abu Jahl? So he said, I've heard that he swears and insults the Prophet And today, if I see him, then I'm going to attack him. And my body is not going to leave his body until one of us dies. Sudden, just as I was like trying to absorb this information, Abdurrahman said, the other one, he poked me and asked me the same question. So now, until now, he's been thinking, he's, he's not confident with who's next to him, and now suddenly they, they ask him this question, so obviously he's got another thought in his mind now. Suddenly I saw Abu Jahl walking around the ranks on the other side, so I said, he's your man. They went for him. They just went for him. Now, we're not in a battle here, okay? So don't go and attack people. That was a proper battle they were in, right? They were in the army. So that's why they did this. So he went. As soon as he said that, just like eagles, they just went for Abu Jahl. Both of them with their swords drawn. And they just started striking him until they put him down. And then they went to the Prophet ﷺ. Now, the Prophet is asking, okay, who killed him first or who struck him first? So they're both saying, me, me, me. So he said, okay, look, uh, let me look at your swords. And both of them had blood on it. So he said, okay, both of you. So when they wanted to do something, they showed what they could do. Right? That was, I mean, Abu Jahl was the pharaoh of his time. Another story 
There's another famous Sahabi, his name is Zayd ibn Thabit, radiallahu He's known as one of, the, one of those who was very, uh, uh, he, he used to know how to write. And he, he, he was very good at that. So later he became one of those who helped to compile the Quran as well. But now at this point he's still very young. He was from the Banu Najjar and he, he by the time uh, just over 10 subaras, 10 Jews of the Quran had been revealed and he'd memorized all of them. Not just, not just looking inside reading, but he'd memorized over 10 Jews of the Quran when he was still a boy. And his father took him to the Prophet His father took him to the Prophet and said, Look, this child of mine, he knows this many suparas of the Qur'an. So the Prophet was amazed that, MashaAllah, child, he knows all of these suparas. So the Prophet now, he finds an opportunity that, okay, there's a good kid in the community who knows all of this stuff. Now this is the job of our imam, uh, us as scholars and imams. He found that this kid has potential. So we must send him to Cambridge. That's what people are generally going to say today. Right? Send him to Cambridge if you want. It's not a problem. But there's something else he also needs to do. Um, I can give you the example today of a woman, a sister, who is a hafidah of the Quran, alima, and then she's also done her PhD. I don't think there's anybody else here who's, got, who's more qualified than her, even among the men. Is there? Hafiz, Alim and PhD, not just the masters, not just the degree, a PhD. Any sisters? No? It's possible, right? That's why I'm trying to tell you that don't just focus on one thing. Right now in uh, London, I teach at this evening madrasa, Mawlana Anas's madrasa. They have at least five or six students, if I remember correctly, who are doing either PhDs or big degrees in the, the top universities in London, like Imperial College, UCL, and they're also studying Alim class. So it's both possible. Don't just focus on one thing. Have a big idea. So Adyan, you're going to do big stuff, right, when you grow up? Inshallah, say Inshallah. Yes, and your brother and everybody. So now when the Prophet saw this potential, he said to Zaid, I want you to go and study and learn the book of the Jews, the Torah, their book, their scripture. Because I'm not always confident that, because they used to, uh, the, the Jews used to bring their cases to the Prophet So the Prophet used to ask them, what does it say in your book? Sometimes they would do some garbar there, some garbar, right? They would like read parts and not other parts. So he needed an insider to be able to read that. You understand? So he said to Zaid, this kid, you go and study it. And subhanallah, he said 15 days, he said, I, I studied it, I learned it, and I went to the Prophet and I said, I've, I've memorized it in 15 days. Amazing. And he said, whenever they needed, they would call me and I would read for them from Hebrew. So not, not only did he know the Arabic, but he also knew Hebrew. So always, you know in school when they tell you to learn another language, you should actually learn it with interest. Because the benefit of that is that you could go to those countries and give da'wah of Islam there as well. You know, for example, I didn't learn French. I would have loved to have learned French. I was in Switzerland where they actually speak French in Geneva. And the bayans I did had to be in Arabic or in English and they would have to translate it into, into Francais. And that was a problem, right? If I could speak French, it would have been perfect. Another story about a youth, a famous story. Some of you may have heard this story anyway. Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu said that once we were sitting with the Prophet Now Anas is also a young boy at the time. He started with the Prophet about the age of 10. When the Prophet passed away, right? He was probably about 20. So 10 years in Medina Munawwara, that's the, how long Anas stayed with him. So Anas radiallahu anhu says that I was sitting once with the Prophet We were sitting there, just imagine we're sitting here and suddenly the Prophet said, there's a man who's going to come in soon and he's a man of Jannat. So you're going to be waiting, right? Who's the man that's going to come in? So let's see who comes in now. 
You, you understand what I'm saying, right? So it's like that. Suddenly this man came in from the Ansar, from one of the people of Medina, he came in. And his beard, he just finished wudu, so his beard was still dripping some water. No, he wasn't a famous person. He was there, he was from there. He wasn't Jibreel a.s. He was one of the locals, but he wasn't very well known. The only reason now people even started looking at him right now is because the Prophet said this. He, he was holding his chappal in his hand. His shoes he had in his hand and uh, in his left hand. So he came in, so people watched that. The next day, the Prophet said the same thing. He made an announcement. He said the next person who's going to come in, suddenly, soon, he is a person of Jannat. And that same person came in. Same person came in. The third day, exactly the same thing happened. Prophet made an announcement and that person came in. Now when that happens, people are going to be really curious, what special thing is he doing? Why? Why does he have Jannat? So Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As was a very young Sahabi at the time. Son of Amr ibn al-As. Abdullah his name is. He's also Abdullah. So he, Abdullah ibn Amr, got very, very, very uh, curious to find out who this is. Because if, he, if I can find out what he's doing, then I could do the same thing. So he went to that person after namaz. And he made up a story. He said, I've had a little problem with my father. Right? I've had a little problem with my father. And I've swore an oath that for three days I'm not going to go back home. I'm not going to go back to his house. So, would it be possible that I can come and stay with you for three days? And that, nowadays, it's a bit more difficult to do that. People don't let strangers in their house nowadays because there's all these child protection things and all this crazy stuff going on. But in those days, it was quite casual. And if somebody said that, that would be your honor. For somebody to come and stay with you, it would be very honorable for that to happen. So, he said, yes, of course. So, Abdullah radiallahu anhu then says that I went and stayed with him for three nights. And at night time, you know, he would be watching to see what kind of ibadat he's doing. Is he waking up doing long prayers and so on and so forth? And he said that nothing. Nothing extra. He used to do his five daily prayers. He used to do some duas, whatever, but nothing extra. So after the three days of over, I was feeling very, very dejected, let down. What's so special? So as I was leaving, I said, you know, I just want to confess to you that I had no problem with my father. But the reason I came to stay with you is because I heard the Prophet ﷺ say about you three times that he is a person of Jannat. So I wanted to find out what do you do extra that makes you a Jannati? I didn't see you doing anything extra. So what is so special? I, I didn't see you doing anything extra. What has got you to the status? So the person was very innocent. He says, nothing. I'm, you know, everything was open for you what I do. I don't do anything extra. Like I, that's exactly what I do. I don't do anything more. So Abdullah, I was feeling very bad and I started walking away. I turned around to walk away. When the person called me and he said, you know, you know what, it may, there's just one thing that I can think of. Is that I just don't keep any hatred in my heart for anybody. Wow. Can you imagine it? I just do not keep any jealousy or hatred in my heart for anybody. I don't keep any bad thoughts in my heart about anybody. So Abdullah said, well then this is... This must be the powerful thing that you do, which has got you to what you do. So, the hadith is amazing on its own, but the fact that Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As, a young boy, youth, who decides to go and use this strategy to find out, which just shows how they wanted to find as, uh, as much good as possible. And, uh, I mean, we have so many stories, but uh, my time is needy up anyway uh, but I'll just mention the last story the last story to you which is uh, there was a young boy whose name is Umair son of Sa'ad 
His name is Omer. What's his name? Omer. Right? His name is Omer. And his uncle was an old 60-year-old man. His uncle. But his uncle was a munafiq. He was a hypocrite. He was not Muslim inside, but outwardly he would show to be a very good believer. Now, no, not many people knew this, but his, um, his nephew once was sitting with him. So he used to pray, he used to fast everything. Once Umayyad ibn Sa'd said to him, Uncle, the Prophet tells us about the Day of Judgment. And he explains it so graphically, it is as if we're seeing it. The way the Prophet tells us. So, his uncle, whose name was Julas, his uncle's name was Julas ibn Suwayd. He said, Umayr, by Allah, if Muhammad was truthful, right? If Muhammad was correct, and he was right, then we would be worse, worse than Himya. Like, we would be the worst tribe. We'd be worse than them. We're better than them. But if he is true, then we're worse than them. He's trying to say he's not true. Right? So Omar Omeir says that my face changed. Like, what is he saying? How can my uncle say that? Because he thought he was a believer. And he said, my body started to shake. He said, uncle, wallahi, you used to be the most beloved to me in my heart. And now... You are the most hated person in my heart because of what you said, because his love for the Prophet was even more. So it, it, it now turns out. Uncle, now I've got two choices. He's very, he's very bold to even say this. Can you imagine it? Imagine a child if that happened, what are they going to say? He said, I'm now between two choices. Either I betray you and tell the Prophet what you said, or I hide it and then I just wait for whatever's going to happen. So, Jula said, you know what, you're just a little kid. Who's going to listen to you? Go and say what you want. He, he didn't try to control the situation. He was so confident that it's okay, nobody's going to listen to him. So he said, you know what, go and tell who you want. Nobody's going to listen to you because you're just a small kid. So, Umair went and sat in front of the Prophet Now a little kid comes to the Prophet to make a complaint like that. That's not easy either. He said, Ya Rasulullah, Juras ibn Suwaid has betrayed Allah and his messenger. And he's my uncle. And I just want to tell you that I'm free from what he does. I've got nothing to do with him. So the Prophet said, okay, what did he say? So he said, he told him, he said that if Muhammad is truthful, then, then we're worse than Himyar. Which basically means that it's not, it can't be true. Right? So the Prophet got together some of the companions to ask them that what do they think about this. So they said, Ya Rasulullah, he's just a little kid. How can you believe him? Don't believe him. It's normal, that's what we do, right? D don't believe him. So he probably doesn't remember exactly what he said. He probably made a mistake in what he said. Jula, Julas ibn Suwaidi comes and prays with us. He's an older man, right? So the Prophet remained silent and he didn't say he believed in, the, uh, believed in the child. Now, this boy felt really, really, really bad. And he said that he just started crying and his body was shaking and he just turned to Allah. Now, remember the advice the Prophet gave to Abdullah ibn Abbas that whenever you need any help, what should you do? You turn to? You turn to Allah, right? So he just turned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and said, Oh Allah, if I am truthful, then make my truth known. Let them know that I'm truthful. And Ya Rabb, oh my Lord, if, the, if I am not truthful, then show, me, show them I'm not truthful. Because maybe I made a mistake. Show them I'm not truthful. Wallahi, he did not move from there. Right? He did not move from there, neither did he stand up from there. He was still making that dua. When the Prophet ﷺ was sitting there, the Prophet ﷺ received a wahi, a revelation. He received the revelation immediately. يَحْلِفُونَ بِاللَّهِ مَا قَالُوا وَلَقَدْ قَالُوا كَلِمَةَ الْكُفْرِ وَكَفَرُوا بَعْدَ إِسْلَامِهِمْ وَهَمُّوا بِمَا لَمْ يَنَالُوا Surah Tawbah. 
that they swear an oath by Allah that they did not say it. Or they will swear an oath that they did not say that. But they said it, the, the word of kufr, they said it. And they have done disbelief after their iman, Islam. So the Prophet had Julas called, the uncle, he called him. And he asked him, okay, did you say this? He, exactly as the Quran said, he swore an oath that I didn't say this. So the Prophet said to him, Allah says, billahi ma qalu. They will swear an oath that they did not say it. But they did say it. Right? So Julas now, you have dis disbelieved in Allah. Right, you've done kufr. So either refresh your tawbah. Because remember, he'd become Muslim before, but just outwardly. Now do a proper tawbah and do your tawbah. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does say, فَإِن يَتُوبُوا يَكُوا خَيْرًا لَهُمْ If they make tawbah, it's better for them. And then the Prophet had Umair call, call the boy over, Umair over. And the Prophet said, مَرْحَبًا بِالَّذِي صَدَّقَهُ رَبُّهُ مِنْ فَوْقِ السَّمَاوَاتِ Welcome to the one who has been confirmed from above the seven heavens by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, uh, this is uh, just a few stories to show us how the children were in the time of the Prophet They were, mashallah, they were some very brave children. We also have some very brave children. We have some very intelligent children. Not everybody is brave and intelligent and clever and so on, but we have some. But those some, unfortunately, all of their efforts are generally pointed in a different direction or it's a wasted direction. We just have to try to do the best that we can. Um, we ask Allah, I just came here to give a few ideas that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspired us with, especially when I saw the crowd of all the young people, I thought, let me speak to the young and let me throw in a few points for the old. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this beneficial and useful for me, myself and everybody else. Again, Jazakallah khair for the invite here. Wa akhiru da'wana. And alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. May Allah take your center from strength to strength and accept all of us.